This is TDPS. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shockwell. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. Yeah. And the good times just never stop around <laughs> They really... Took us five tries to do that. It was just so funny to us that we said our names out loud. We just had we lunch. Had, we, we just had We're not lunch. even drinking. No, but we just had lunch, which is the same thing as drinking around here. <laughs> yeah, our sugar levels are elevated. So about midway through the episode, if it just goes quiet here, it's because we fell asleep. <laughs> it's because we fell asleep. The insulin coma kicked in and we're asleep tune in the following week for the conclusion of the, the uh, episode or whatever bitchy story we were telling the manages to name drop Anne rice uh, in some way uh, that's what my mother said uh, um listen listen we got a lot of christmas linda got a, a lot of christmas happening on today's it's, episode yeah it's beginning to look a lot like the day after Christmas. <laughs> but we thought we still have time because technically, 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 a little peek behind the curtain, which I love to give here at TDPS because we have such a <laughs> fabulous red curtain. We really do have fabulous We have curtains. amazing curtains. The most amazing curtains. Um, but we post these episodes at 10 p.m. Saturday night on the West Coast. That would be Pacific Standard Time or Pacific Daylight Time. What are we in? We're in Pacific Standard now? Yes. Oh, who gives a shit? You're giving me your who gives a shit face. Wrap this up. I'm just like, where is he going with this? This episode posted on Christmas is what I'm trying to say. It posted on December 25th at 10 p.m. on the West Coast of the United States of America. God bless us all. So... Technically, we're not doing a Christmas episode on December 26th, even though that's when we're going to promote it on social media, and that's when most people will notice that it's there. So it's a fascinating glimpse at the sort of half-assed scheduling we and do And just to be here. perfectly clear, behind the curtains is the, all, where we store all of the crap, the promotional <laughs> crap that, we, <laughs> that we've had made for all of our ventures outside of this building. Uh, not all of it. Some of it's at my house. There's a tablecloth with our The tablecloth is it. at my house. The tablecloth is hanging oh. in a closet at my house. Every now and then I check on it because I can envisualize. I can visualize your reaction if I don't know where it is or accidentally let moths eat it. So but we don't have moths here in California. I don't think any animal will be able to eat whatever fabric that... <laughs> That tablecloth with our faces on it. Or if they do, I should be more afraid of the yes, animal than absolutely. losing the tablecloth. If Mothra shows up, <laughs> run and let him have the tablecloth. Throw the tablecloth at him while I run out of the right, house. Absolutely. Can I interest you in some merchandise, Mothra? <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't Mothra the nice one? Here's some Dream Spinner lip balm. <laughs> Uh, unlike everything else they've paid for that okay um and <laughs> moving along now to the christmas part of this episode we watched this is not a true crime tv club however we did say that when you investigate some of the origin stories of the holidays things start to sound a little criminal they do. They get a little pagan and a little wild and a little Roman, if you will. We, know that, we all know what that means, a little Roman. <laughs> well, I think that it really just sort of points out that we're, everybody's just trying to have a good time. <laughs> we really aren't drunk. We don't drink. So, like, I don't know what this is about. Maybe there's something in the tea today. Or Maybe the, it's or really the, it's old the season. tea. The season. Tis the season. Okay, so um, disclaimer so, time. Down to business. Enough. Let's get serious about fucking Christmas here. That's okay? right. By God, nobody's gonna have a good time today. No, we're talking about an episode of a show called History of the Holidays. 
The Real Story of Christmas is the episode title. It's season one, episode eight. There's only one season, and it's from a long time ago. It's from a time before there was high definition, apparently, because the episode is only available in SD, which is usually only true of Macmillan and Wife when you go on the internet. But but it's, you know, like Christmas is fairly old, so they could have filmed this a long time ago. <laughs> it could have. They it's a 2,000-year-old holiday that we've only started celebrating, you know, in the last 150 years or so so yeah well that's also what i got from the special is like our conception of christmas especially here in america because there's a big focus on that there's christmas as it was as it begun overseas and then what american consumerism turned it into it's pretty young holiday but we're a pretty young country as you often say yeah we're a very young country um yeah i think that's um yeah i guess so i'm not as like Eric's not impressed with that reasoning. <laughs> I'm not as like I'm I'm always a little like I step back. One of the things that I liked about this this particular look at this holiday it in in terms of the way that we celebrated here was it was not with fear or favor. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like they didn't really there was no apology offered for this isn't the sacred right of whatever the fuck it's supposed to be. Right. You know, like, we're just trying to have a good time. And, like, right. it, that has a lot of different components. Some of it's about going to Midnight Mass and singing the carols in church. And some of it's about going to the mall and getting fun, shiny stuff and giving it to people you care about. Right. Like, how does that have—why does that need to be? One of them even said, I will tell you, full disclosure— um, you didn't there watch were the episode. Two episodes in this series about Christmas, yeah. and I watched both of them. <laughs> you cheated. So it's going to be. I may bring up stuff that doesn't actually happen in this episode because I have no way of knowing which one is which. I don't think so. I think I'm going to be pretty accurate because this one was really much more about. Um, the American creation, the way in which really this country created what the the world perceives as Christmas yes. currently, um, kind of through a ser- an interesting series of drawings of of events. Yeah. It was the artists in our yes. own society that created it, which I sort of loved. Right. Okay, so let's let's get right into it. Since we can't trust you to stay on topic this week, I'm going to just read my notes like we're doing because a true crime usually, TV club. Usually, I, I can be trusted to stay on topic. I'm just going to read my notes like, in 1882. Happened. No. Um, so the special opens with a discussion of Christmas lights because there's clearly not going to be a lot to say about Christmas lights, so they want to get it out of the way right away so they can get to the stuff that actually has ancient origins around Christmas. And Christmas lights are not those things. But in 1882, the first ones were invented by Edison Company Vice President Edward Johnson. And (laughs) (laughs) Because you old. Um, Later, General Electric offered strings of 24 bulbs for $12, and that's equal to $2,500,000 today. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That's $280. But that's not, you know, that's a lot to spend on some lights, so, Yeah, but think of what a thing that would have been at that moment. Yeah, totally. Like, it would have been like, I tried to think about when they said that. What was it like at that moment? Why don't you tell us? I tried to think of a a modern equivalent for (laughs) pea brains like yourself (laughs) to be able to wrap their small minds around when I was describing, but it would be, I was trying to think of seriously what kind of um, what modern technology would be equivalent. Mm-hmm. You know that we that we might buy, like for instance, if you could get um, tiny screens that each played a video of of Santa or some holiday scene, dozens of them, and hang them on a tree together, Mm -hmm. like, that might be $280. Do you know Mm. what I mean? Like, that would have been, but that would have been the equivalent. Right. An animated, or um, maybe it would be a a tiny projector that made a A holographic holographic Santa dancing on a, Mm -hmm. or a holographic reindeer or angels dancing in the little beam of light that comes up out of them. That might even cost more than two hundred eighty dollars. I was going to say, yeah, totally. But but that's that is probably that is the equivalent of that technology in that moment. The hanging a string of electric lights on a Christmas tree had literally never happened before. That's amazing. I wonder how many trees caught fire. Well, 
I'm probably not any, or General Electric would never have owned it because Edison was, that was the way Edison competed with um, everybody else who tried to get into the electricity business. I see. It was by claiming that they weren't safe. Ah, so cool. If they so, were safe, then. Mm. Okay. And as I said earlier, that's really all they have to say about Christmas lights, because what they really want to talk about, which takes us way back into history, are Christmas trees, because the Christmas tree has a long origin story. And it's an ancient, it comes from an ancient celebration practiced by ancient peoples, imagine that, in northern Europe. On the winter solstice, ancient tribes would hold a 12-day festival. Libby O'Connell, a historian, explains this for us, and she has a wonderful green screen behind her, as all the interview subjects will, they really showing do. Christmas stuff. I don't stuff. know that wonderful is the word, <laughs> but she no. does have a green screen behind her. She does her. have a green screen, but, but like an out-of-scale Yule log that's the size of her head. Standard definition, so it's yeah. not really great, but it is... You know, there. They but do have one. I didn't know that this was part of it. She says part of the festival at this time of year was that because it was winter, you weren't going to be able to feed all of the animals the way you could other times of year. So you had to eat them. So right. that's where the feasting came from. You kept some for breeding, but then you ate the rest of the animals because it was too cold to feed them. Absolutely. Um, in any given year. <laughs> so it was a drag to be a cow, but it probably always has been. I, were they dealing with cows in ancient Northern Europe? I'm going to say some version of that, okay, yeah. probably, don't totally. you think? oxen, you know, like yeah. on that old game Oregon sure. Trail, your That's, oxen are dead. Yeah, the oxen. Yeah. Your mother has turned to cannibalism. You your never played Oregon Trail? Your died and left you all his money. Um, <laughs> da -da 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 -da, your sister Rose is dead. Um no, I don't remember that game. That you seems really never, fun. Oregon Trail was an old computer game that has nothing to do with Christmas. But, I mean, it was old. It was 80s, right? It was old. And not Like 1880s. 1984, like when you 90s, were like, Jesus. you know, whatever, crazy. No, but it was like little stick figures, but things would happen to you that would happen on the Oregon Trail. Like your oxen has died. You broke a leg. But you have would, dysentery. Like, you would just say that on the screen? Yeah, and I can't remember what you had to do to get over those things, because it wasn't like, well, get me another ox. I think you had to buy oxen or something. I don't know. We're going to... This podcast will reach the one Oregon Trail video game expert out there on the internet, and we will get a hostile letter from them correcting us on all the untrue things I just well, said. And that'll be great, because then I'll have some idea what you're talking about. But yeah, yeah like I was thinking you might have gotten dysentery from eating the dead oxen. I don't know if you were allowed to eat the oxen. Like, kids were playing this game. It wasn't like, you know, Xbox. You could kill them, but you couldn't eat them? No, they would die. You would have to replace them. You couldn't keep traveling if your oxen died because they were pulling your wagon or something like that. I, okay. don't know. I don't know. Why are we talking about this? I feel like you distracted me on purpose because you want to talk about that other Christmas special. You're just trying to talk about It's exactly about... the same as this, except yeah. the details are just <laughs> slightly different. So... Better green screens? Um no. No, okay. Better, it had Harry Smith was the announcer as opposed to this guy. Who, who was sounded this guy? like Keith occasionally, but. Who's Keith? Keith. Um, oh, um, Dateline Keith. Keith, yeah, Dateline Keith. Oh, Sometimes wow. this guy sounded like Dateline Keith, but okay. mostly it was, the, yeah, Harry Smith did the other one. In any given year, American farmers are growing 350 million trees on 15,000 Christmas tree farms. Or they were back when this series was made. <laughs> And so somebody brings up the question of all this, like, what does any of this have to do with the birth of Jesus, right? We're talking about ancient winter festivals. Um, Nicola Denze Lewis, who teaches at Brown University, where I was a student for a whole year, uh, she says, our modern conception of the nativity, which is Christmas as it is described by the Christian faith, comes from two different books of the Bible. They don't reference one another. One is the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Luke. Matthew talks about the star of Bethlehem and the Magi, but Luke apparently does not. And nobody, nowhere within these two Gospels of the Bible, does anyone actually mention the birth of Christ as having a specific date, because early Christians apparently didn't celebrate birthdays. So nobody would have been keeping track. They also didn't have a calendar. <laughs> so it would have That's been really right. different, difficult to reference a Gregorian calendar that wouldn't be invented for hundreds of goddamn years. But yes. many pagan holidays were already celebrated during the month of December for the reasons we described earlier. It was yeah, a seasonal thing. Saturnalia began on December 17th, and that was a series of parties that lasted for several days. They exchanged... 
Romans were always looking always. for a series of dates to celebrate on. and They, they exchanged gifts. Slaves enjoyed certain freedoms and were served a special feast by their masters. Um, so basically what they're getting at here is that when Christianity became, you know, like a thing, they just started sort of mingling with and then ultimately absorbing all of these older pagan um, solstice events. Because they were already celebrating them. Yeah. And because they didn't want pushback. Right. Like they were trying to make Christianity the official state religion of of uh, the Roman Empire. And so they didn't try and get rid of existing religious festivals because they didn't want to argue about it. Yeah. So they just made them part of Christianity. And on December 25th at this time, there was a celebration for a Roman god. Mithras. Mithras and his son, Saul Invictus. Romans lit ritual bonfires to push back the darkness, sort of like we do here at TDPS, random bonfires to push back Eric's darkness. Christianity became Rome's official religion in the 4th century. That never works. And they chose to absorb all of these traditions. So that's that's the Roman pagan side of it, which they spent. There were a lot of pictures. There was a lot of drawings and stuff, but they got there pretty quickly. <laughs> I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at Facebook.com slash The Dinner Party Show. No, I meant in the car. Hi, I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and I'd like to take a moment to congratulate my co-host and producing partner, Christopher Rice. He's got not one, but four new books coming out in 2022. But today, I'd like to tell you about one in particular, a standalone thriller called Decimate. It's the terrifying story of what happens to our kitchen here at the studio um, when I ask Christopher to make the tea. Yeah, no. When I said improvise the promo, I didn't say you could make shit up. I am not making this up. Look at that kitchen. Okay. Hi, party people. Decimate is actually a thriller about telekinesis and near-death experiences. The page-turning tale of a woman who becomes convinced her brother is being held hostage by a supernatural force following his death in a fiery plane crash. It has nothing to do with tea or our kitchen, and you can pre-order it on Amazon now. And while it is spine-tingling and terrifying, it is nothing compared to what I'm going to have to order off of Amazon to clean up that kitchen. Will you shut up about tea and our kitchen? Oh, I never shut up about tea. Now we're like we're we're at sort of we're we're inching towards modern day Christmas. I love the the sort of timeline, the, the Christmas <laughs> timeline. According to I told you I was going to do this like a true crime TV Rice. club. Christmas is a crime. How did it unfold? Who but are the, the suspects? But the bonfires were antecedent of what? We don't have Christmas bonfires today. Um, the bonfires <laughs> were about were the antecedents of the Christmas lights because it was about lighting up the winter darkness. So not about the Yule Log. Well, I don't know. I don't even remember if they talk about the Yule Log. I think the Yule Log is incidental to an image that comes later that popularizes um, a certain conception of Christmas that features Queen Victoria and Prince Albert in front of, I think there is a fire. Now, a Yule Log is the, is the, Yule was actually the Northern European right. celebration of the, that time of year. So right. is that the source of the light or my favorite part of it with the trees was that it was about bring, keeping the green alive, that the green was about hope of rebirth because the, in the winter, the only thing that was still green was the evergreen. And so they brought it inside, mm, mm -hmm. basically killing it um, yeah. to celebrate that the, the green would return at some point. But it was about, it was about that sort of faith in that, of rebirth on the other side of winter. So what what what's going on right now with you and bonfires? Are you taking exception to my well, notes about bonfires? I just was like, no, I was just trying to like I'm not sure. Like I can totally see the dates 
the connection between the dates and the Roman Empire. But the bonfires, I was like, I don't know what that has to do with Christmas, but okay, oh, yeah. sure. The Romans lit ritual bonfires like, around the Solon Victus I think that's Mithras. great, but yeah. I don't see what that has to do okay. with Christmas or any of our traditions. So I thought that was a bit of a red herring. Well, in Louisiana, where you're from... Yes. And apparently have forgotten. There is a bonfire tradition at Christmas time. It happens along the levee. I think it has morphed into the really stupid explanation that we're giving running lights for Santa to come land. Oh, in I love that. Southern Louisiana. But yeah, it's a bonfire tradition on the levee of the Mississippi River. I attended one year with uh, a friend and former dinner party show guest, Christian LeBlanc, who was the. Uh, star, w- one of the stars of The Young and the Restless. Absolutely. And he was the featured celebrity monarch. He stars as Restless. Of the, <laughs> there's Young and then there's Restless. He's right. Restless. He's re- clearly Restless. Yeah. And so there are parts of the world where they light bonfires at Christmas. They just don't invite you because you, you're not nice on the subject of bonfires. Apparently not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't remember anything about that. But yeah. that sounds like fun. It was fun. It was cold. You have to go outside to be near the bonfire. And until the bonfire is going, you're cold. I'm not a big fan of outside. Yeah, you're not not a big fan of outside. Okay, so let's get back to this really strict Christmas timeline that I'm on. Okay, and I'll keep driving us off the road. In the high Middle Ages, Christmas takes off. I don't even think they said that. I think that's just my notes. baby, it just was all about (laughs) Christmas in the high Middle Ages, because what the hell else did they have to do? I know. Plague and Christmas. That was it. And Prima Nocta. If you didn't die, there was something to celebrate. Yes, totally. That's kind of how it played in the Middle Ages. And they don't say why this is, but they they describe it as if it helped Christmas become popular. Christmas carols in religious settings were sung in the vernacular and not Landon. Not Latin. <laughs> Not Michael Landon. <laughs> um, so everybody knew what they meant, and their ideas spread beyond the church. And uh, Christmas caroling became the, the celebration that you described earlier, which was a bunch of drunk people going from house to house yelling until you gave them booze. It's an excuse for robbery and vandalism, yeah. it's in, to me, yeah. I called it in our previous episode, trick-or-treating for alcoholics. Um, religious reformers lost patience with all these people having so much fun at Christmas. Christmas was becoming too fun. Now, naturally, these reformers were Protestants. Protestants because because <laughs> nobody has less of a fan of fun than Protestants. Apparently so. Like, yeah, it was like, wow, what a bunch of killjoys. But yeah, it was just, it really, it really put them off that people were having such a good time. Also, the other thing that is true here, apparently, is that... Christmas really didn't, wasn't associated, like, it wasn't a religious thing. Like, there was a religious observance of the birth of Christ, but it wasn't really connected to this. Those, the two concepts were not connected at all. It was, and so the, the Protestants found it to be distracting and not a part of their own thing. And, you know, nobody wants to make everybody do it their way more than the Protestants, unless it's the Catholics. Exactly. Those two. Just you could just go fight it out in a room the and leave the rest of us out of it. So um, the, the, this was interesting for me. I didn't know this. The, because at this period in history, the Protestants are sort of anti-Christmas. It doesn't really get an immediate toehold in the new world, which is our world, which is the United States of America, which then was not the United States yet. But the initial Puritan colonies didn't really celebrate Christmas. They looked down their noses on it and weren't really into well, it. Well, some of them. Like Massachusetts really was uh, down on, on on the holidays. And then one of the things, and I think this was from the other special, one of the things that was Intriguing to me was I'm that. Sorry, we're not talking about the other special. Today. Shut the fuck up. Um, <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Was the Christmas was that Christmas was seen as an English tradition, and mm. the United States rejected it. Like Congress didn't even take off Christmas for the first seventy years or so of our history. They, it, it wasn't as a holiday because right. they didn't consider it to be one because it was English, and they didn't want to recreate. Um, English things. In England, on the other hand, they were having the time. They were electing the king of misrule mm. and uh, doing the, you know, the the knock on the door, uh, you know, taking, right, the vandalism, yeah. caroling, Christmas caroling, vandalism mm-hmm. and that sort of thing at the same time. Yeah. One of the greatest quotes the special offers up comes around this time. Apparently, a Puritan religious figure of some sort in the New World described Christmas as chastity's 
Shipwreck, <laughs> which is going to be the name of the first gay bar I open in New Orleans someday. I think that sounds great. <laughs> I love that. Chastity Shipwreck. Um, but the caroling thing starts to happen the way we described, and it's starting to catch on in America kind of around, I guess, the early 1800s, and it's it's it turns into people making threats and throwing rocks at people who won't give them drinks, all right? So Christmas is becoming a body block party. It's like the religious people won't claim it. It's been handed over to the party animals. And that was sort of my point. It yeah. kind of has been a body block party since Roman times. Like, it really didn't get the affiliation to the birth of Christ or the celebration of the birth of Christ right. until a much more recent kind of, that notion really yeah. wasn't connected. The big part of the celebration had nothing to do with it. And I think so, it goes back to that thing you referred to right at the top of, they it was time to eat all the animals. So yeah. it, was a, it became a feasting holiday also, rather than a religious one. It's a dreary holiday for a lot of people, and they wanted to party and get wasted. Yeah. And what can you do? Like, what can you do with the fields when it's cold outside, out? You can't like, do anything. Yeah. So you stay inside yeah. and, and, and give Chastity a run for her money. <laughs> she gets on a ship, and then it wrecks. In the 1800s, however, I feel like there was a void here that somebody filled, which is that Christmas needed a rebrand, and it came in the form of a poem written by a gentleman named Clement Clark Moore. I love this story. I love the way this special did this. He wrote a 56-line poem he called A Visit from St. Nicholas, which is better known today as A Night Before Christmas. And he basically, he distilled all of the scattered Christmas traditions. Like He, he, he described a version of well, this. He was in New York. And they and they had a Dutch yeah. history, and the Dutch actually had Sinterklaas, right? And which is terrifying. And, Sounds and, terrifying. And Saint Nicholas, and so right. they were actually parts of a tradition that was, in some ways, associated with the culture in and around New York, where Moore was from, right? Um, and they and then, but he took him and invented this whole new um, concept of of Santa Claus. Santa Claus, right? The one that we really know today. Um, Although he didn't fully flesh him out. That was sort of done more completely by an illustrator who came along. And I think that was, was that, no, that's an interview subject I'm about to read. Thomas Nass yes. was yes, his that's name. Him. Thomas Nass really, like, the version that would accompany the poem A Night Before Christmas originally was like a sort of, looked more like Sinterklaas. You know, like it was sort of, not as stylized. And then Thomas Nass did the belly yeah, and made the round him, cheeks. He yeah. made him look American. Yeah. Like, Thomas Nass is also the man who invented Uncle Sam. Right. And um, the elephant and, for Republicans and the donkey for Democrats. So yeah. he, a lot of the iconography of our modern culture came from this guy. And so he drew Santa Claus as an American. He was mm -hmm. chubby and had that red, the red and white suit. And it was very American furs. It was very American looking. The full beard and that. He looked like somebody's grandfather from right. that period. And that was how he wanted him to look. So it was very much an American vision of this European character. Also, both of them eliminated the Krampus. Right. Which in the Krampus, if you don't know from the recent popular horror movie, Krampus was actually a sort of demon who accompanied Sinterklaas wherever he went and was there to punish the bad children. Um, and so the so, good children got oranges and chocolate, and, and the, the bad, bad children, children got, got a switch eaten by sent uh, by what what is his name? I've forgotten uh, already. Krampus. 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 I don't know if he ate them, but he's hit them with a little switch, or he kidnapped them and carried yeah, them away. Totally. Um, all right. So back to Thomas. I don't think he really did that. I think they just told children he was going to do that because they wanted them to behave. Yeah. And so Thomas Nass, though, we want to say all those illustrations he was doing were in Harper's Weekly, Eric Shaw Quinn's favorite magazine. I was wondering if that's the same old magazine because yeah, I do love Harper's. Yeah. Um, the thing this special said, which I thought was really interesting, was that all of this sort of rebranding Christmas as this holiday of giving gifts to children was a symptom of the fact that people were finally starting to care about children. I mean, previously they were seen as chimney sweeps and incompetent small adults. You know, now it was, no, these are precious things we need I to protect. I thought that was really an interesting yeah. point. I hadn't really thought about it in that way, but wow. Yeah. 
Um, and as my notes say, by the late 129th century, yes. the Christmas tree becomes central to American family Christmas. And why uh, is that, Christopher Rice? Well, it, because in the 127th century, no. Right. No, it's really, it's another thing that it, it's, it's an illustration. Of, it's another illustration and it's more right. popular media. On December 23rd, 1848, the Illustrated London News publishes an image of Queen Victoria and her fine-ass husband, Albert, inventor of the Prince Albert, gathered around a Christmas tree. England falls in love with the image, and they republish the image in America, but they remove Victoria's crown and Albert's mustache to make them look... And his Prince Albert. <laughs> to make him look... More American, which is like also really? the special does not mention the Prince Albert, which maybe Weird wasn't invented not. by him, but it was invented by Taylor's during his time period. That's a separate episode. That's a separate series. Very different. The history series. of Prince Albert. Yeah. Um, how did they get away with altering the appearance of the Queen of England? I mean, she's literally the Queen of England. She didn't just refer to herself as the Queen of England. She was the Queen of England, and they altered her appearance in a magazine, and everyone was like, "Meh, she needed work." It was America. It's America. We do whatever the fuck we want. We got. We don't have kings and queens here. We yeah. Got, we went to quite some uh, effort to. In fact, the War of eighteen twelve would have been like thirty years before this, <laughs> and that was actually with England. So we may not have been just she, as close as we might. She's lucky been. she didn't have a moose head drawn on her. Is what you're saying? I'm saying there might have been, still been some hard feelings after burning down the White House and stuff. <laughs> That's probably so. All right, so at the dawn of the 20th century, Santa would become a salesman and generate Christmas as a retail bonanza because it was around this... No, that's not true. I skipped ahead. It is not around this time. It's about 100 years later that Norman Rockwell gets a hold of Santa and really puts out the image that we view as Santa Claus today. But in the 1840s, for the first time, Macy's, the new department store, used Santa Claus in an ad. And that was what really began it. By 1874, his use had exploded. And by 1940, Norman Rockwell had produced the vision of him that we understand today. And, but Christmas was still being developed. It was still in development, as we like to say in Hollywood. But it was really coming from the, the popular media yeah, um, and from artists, mm -hmm. but also from um, the real cathedrals of... This country and the, mm -hmm. <laughs> the 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 thing we really do worship here, which is uh, <laughs> commerce and uh, our you know our our, our commercial world, right. our, our worlds of sales and uh, the economic engine that is this country. Yeah. So I think that's as appropriate a celebration as the other. But at the same time, it did not either. It didn't um, deny or rule out um, religious participation as well. People were still going mm -hmm. to church, still going to mass, still singing their Christmas carols, and still participating. But it had become much more of a family celebration and more a family celebration of the lives we actually have. Mm -hmm. I was particularly taken with the notion of the idea of the, the artists giving us the vision mm -hmm. and then us making it into reality. It reminded me of the... Um, the communicators on Star Trek, the way mm -hmm. that we develop cell phones that really kind of are what the communicators were on mm -hmm. on on television, which came first, right? The art, right? The art imagined stuff that we then bring into reality. This is an interesting, and I don't mean to take us too far away from Christmas, but I think this brings up an interesting point around people when there's a backlash to an artistic portrayal or a creative expression, and the defense is. And, and a, a political backlash, you know, what people call now social justice warriors, calling out a depiction in a movie or a film or a TV. I, I don't necessarily agree with the aggressive policing of those expressions, but I think the knee-jerk defense is, oh, it's just a movie, calm down. Oh, it's just a story, calm down. And that, paradoxically, diminishes what it is, the power that we're talking about. Yeah. You know, no, these things are influential. They do have an impact. They do become aspirational for some people. You know, I don't think it means we limit their expression in a public square or a public setting necessarily, but I think we have to recognize that it does it influence people. It does influence people. Like I, Abraham Lincoln said that uh, little, the, little Eva's plantation that yeah. the, uh, the 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 Harriet Beecher Harriet Beecher Stowe is that who wrote that? I Uncle, can't remember. Uncle Tom's Uncle cabin. Tom's cabin. Um, mm -hmm. I w was as big as as influential in 
leading up to the uh, the the Civil War as any other aspect of that particular uh, time period. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Are you sick of doing promos for my new books yet? That depends. Are we at the beach? Yes, we're at Sapphire Cove, the fictional Southern California resort featured in my new gay romance series coming in 2022. This is alarming. When did we go outside? You were transported by the powerful prose of C. Travis Rice. That's my new pen name devoted to steamy and emotional tales of romance between men. Yeah, no, that's not it. I was about to eat a sandwich in the studio, and now I'm being harassed by seagulls. Brandon, get rid of the seagulls, please. Oh, that's much better. Now I have to pee. First, pre-order your copy of Sapphire Sunset, the first installment in the Sapphire Cove series, which goes on sale March 1st, 2022, from Blue Box Press, when a new member of the resort security department falls hard for the nephew of the wealthy family that owns the place, sparks fly, and sexy scandal ensues at Sapphire Cove. Uh, Yeah, could you pre-order that for me? I'm going to run to the little podcaster's room. Brandon! Come get this seagull! I can't help it if my writing sets the scene. I know what I'm going to set if someone doesn't come get this seagull. Where'd you get that sandwich? Sapphire Sunset, the first book in the Sapphire Cove series from C. Travis Rice. Now available for pre-order. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Have you been to my website lately? Why would I go to your website? You're sitting right here. Well, it's the place to find out all about my new books. Why would I go to your website for that? Again, you're sitting right here. All right. Well, for people who aren't right here, ChristopherRiceBooks.com is a great place to get information about my new releases. Which you'll give me copies of because I'm sitting right here. Yeah, maybe. But for those who aren't currently sitting in our studio on the Sunset Strip, check out my website, sign up for my mailing list, and check out all the posts on my blog where I talk smack about Eric Shaw Quinn. What smack? Shut up and read this new book I wrote. Fuck that and fuck ChristopherRiceBooks.com. This ad did not go as planned. This was an ad? So it's really interesting to me that um, that there are also positive aspects of the mm-hmm. way in which, like, they talked about in this that um, when was the when was the portrait of the Queen and uh, and and Prince that Albert? was eighteen forty eight eighteen forty eight yeah and so they said within three or four years, pretty much every household in England had a Christmas tree they never had before. Yeah. And if you asked people, like within 10 years of that, they would have acted as though a Christmas tree was part of longstanding Absolutely. tradition. Oh, yeah. Like, no, totally. oh, we've always had a Christmas tree. There's always been. But it's really this sort of inventing of it as we go along and mm-hmm. it becoming a part of that tradition, even as, um, even as it's invented. Yeah. The most recent thing they talk about, which has become a staple of Christmas, particularly here in America, I don't know if it's a big deal overseas, is a song, excuse me, in the 1940s, a copywriter named Robert L. May created a character we now know as Rudolph the Reindeer, and he did so for a handout that was being put together by the <laughs> Montgomery Ward department store. Do you remember Montgomery Ward? I, I do. Remember I still Montgomery. shop at Wards. They call it Wards now. Oh, do they? Oh, they're still around. They just got rebranded. They, I, it's all online now. I don't think there yeah. are actually any physically Montgomery Wards now. But yeah, Wards yeah. still exists. Um, but yeah, I used to shop at Montgomery Wards. So his brother-in-law, Johnny Marks, um, set the Robert L. May's work to music. And gave it to Gene Autry to perform. And Gene Autry fucking hated it and wanted nothing to do with it. And his wife said, you need to record this, Cut Gene. Cut that shit out, Gene. This is going to make us a fortune. It's a Christmas song. Every damn songwriter work, wants a Christmas song. You better work, bitch. Um, and uh, Autry does it as a B-side on one of his records because that's how much he does it. He's trying to bury it. Right, he hates it. And it becomes the biggest hit of his career. He ever did. The yeah. biggest hit he ever did. And then it began, and it led to TV specials. And- right. 
The story about It's a Wonderful Life is a little truncated. The movie It's a Wonderful Life is covered up next, and they leave out what I think is the most interesting part of it, which is that the movie was a huge bomb when it was first released. Um, and not at Christmas. And not released at Christmas, right? It was released in like the dead of summer, right? I think the same was true of um, Holiday Inn, which is where White Christmas is from. Right. was also not released as a Christmas movie. Like, that movie doesn't take place entirely at Christmas. It's about a... B&B in New England, I think, where they have celebrations of all of the holidays. Yeah. And so Christmas is just one of the holidays they're celebrating, and I don't even think it's the big finale of the show, and that's the song that they wrote for that, and it has become the best-selling song of all time. But let's talk about It's a Wonderful Life because that's your favorite movie. It's one of my I favorites. You watch it, it every it Christmas. It is my Christmas tradition. It... um. What Frank Capra flew overseas uh, to film propaganda films for the World War II effort, and he came back and wanted to do a Christmas movie. It was derided upon release as being too dark, too dreary, not Christmassy enough, too moralistic, all of these things. The rights to the television rights to it sort of lapsed and entered the public domain. This is Christopher now. This isn't in the special, but yes. Well, this, no, they put this part in the special, which Did is they? that it got discovered. Well, the way they said it is it later generations discovered it on television. Right, and the, but the reason way that they did was yeah, because the it, rights had lapsed. It cost nothing to play it over and over and over again. So they did. And it became so they did, and it became like an official Christmas movie. And today it's regarded as a major classic. And Eric cries like a baby every year when he watches every it. Every time. Um, so in fact, ju- full disclosure, they showed the scene in the special where I always cry yes. in the movie, and I cried. <laughs> you got triggered, did you? That's right. Yeah, I still cried. Mm-hmm. So it's the 1960s now, and someone and there, uh, there's well, a, it was there's a rash. Well, we were no, we're in it. I'm trying to put you in it, Eric okay. Sharkwin. We're in the Christmas Setting timeline. Scene. Christmas right. timeline, and this okay. is this is my other favorite Christmas tradition. So, in the 1960s, uh, there are a rash of Christmas themed animated specials. That sounds happening. harsh. <laughs> they looked kind of harsh. They showed some clips, and they were not rash. all up to snuff. There was a lot of you know. So somebody. There was a- a cornucopia, a bounty. No, a rash, an outbreak, if you will. <laughs> um, somebody approached the folks behind Charlie Brown and said, do you guys want to do a Christmas special? And this was executive producer Lee Mendelson, who was interviewed in this special. And uh, he worked with an animator named Bill Menendez, or Menendez, excuse me. I think my note-taking went off a cliff in that moment, probably reached for a snack. Mm-hmm. Um, Charles Schultz, it sounds like, was being insulated by these guys. He was off doing Peanuts, and they were sort of his you know, front men. And they put together this uh, animated special, and everybody thought it was going to be a complete turkey. The network hated it. They were doing it with CBS. Right. They made the audacious decision at the time to use child actors for the voices of the characters, which everybody thought was going to be a huge misfire. Right. And um, Charles Schultz insisted that they quote the Bible at one point in the special, which apparently was a controversial choice, I guess. I don't know why, but... Maybe this is the sort of final fusion of religious Christmas and pop culture Christmas. It is that. It is, but it is the thing that we've been talking about right along. The fact that one doesn't rule out the other. Yeah. And so it it converged. Charlie Brown was the convergence, and it was a huge hit. I mean, it's like a classic, right? I saw the the very first one. I did. You really was there, nineteen sixty five at Christmas and. You were 25 years I old. I was 114 were... <laughs> years old at the time. And uh, <laughs> no, um, it was, it was, yeah, it was a big deal. It was just, it was magical. And it has that part where, where um, Linus actually does quote the Bible, but that leads to the celebration that's about decorating the tree mm-hmm. and singing the praises and, and celebrating, um, as part of it all, it doesn't it doesn't rule out any because the show is actually deals with the thing we've been talking about the the sense of it's become too commercial. It's forgetting mm-hmm. what the real meaning of Christmas is, and I think that the thing that people loved about the, spe, the that special, the thing that people still love about it, is that it says no, no, all of those are the meaning of Christmas: mm-hmm. the celebration and the Christmas queen and the presents and the cards and you know. 
If it's to your liking, the religious part of it, too. All of those things are part of everybody's tradition of Christmas, and one isn't more important than the others. And that, to me, is really sort of the American Christmas, and it's kind of become what Christmas is around the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think very much because of our influence, because of the influence of a series of artists. In 1968, the crew of Apollo 8 orbited the moon. It was the first time a man had orbited the moon on Christmas Eve, which I didn't know. Previously a woman had? <laughs> yes, exactly. That's the way you said it. it the <laughs> a human. A I think a monkey had or Sputnik had a monkey in it, right? Or something? Didn't Sputnik have a monkey? In? No, Sputnik. it's not a space episode. I can't be expected to know all about space. All Sputnik right, Sputnik was like a basketball it was orbiting the planet. It was Sputnik was the least it could possibly be. <laughs> it was this thing where it was like, okay, you did get that up there. Congratulations. <laughs> but let us not get carried away with what you actually got up there. <laughs> It was a beeping basketball. <laughs> I don't know why I think that's so funny. Uh, I can just see it. I can see the beeping basketball. So this is people. At 1968, the crew of Apollo 8, composed of human beings, but no women because it was the 60s, um, orbited the moon. We didn't realize that there were binders full of women. Yeah. Everywhere for many years after nineteen, and we wouldn't learn that a, a dedicated group of black women scientists were instrumental in that effort, and their efforts they were erased from history until a recent Hollywood film brought everybody to their attention, right? our attention. So that was the whole special. Do you want to talk some in the time we have left about the special that you watched on your own without approval and, with, and not in coordination with me? Because you always do it on your own, no matter what, no matter what. I'm sorry. This sounds disciplinary. <laughs> I like to I like to attempt a little discipline Christmas every now and then. Discipline is this? Are you Christmas the Krampus? I'm the Krampus. Christopher Krampus. Yeah, I was listening to that Krampus stuff, and I was like, you know, in West Hollywood, Krampus would be pretty high in demand around here. <laughs> Shows up and gives you a little. You've been bad, you know. Not with kids. We're not talking about kids. Don't at me. I'm not talking about children. <laughs> I'm talking about grown men in West Hollywood and some women who like to, you know, who like to be bad around the holidays. <laughs> Christmas, I think Christopher is revealing his own Krampus fantasies over here. Uh, I got to switch. Do you have a Krampus my... costume uh, at got, home, Christopher, uh, uh, yeah, that hangs I in that special closet? the bad guys in the neighborhood, the guys who've been bad at Christmas. Yeah, that's my thing. People stop by for a little Krampusing. Yeah, Krampus looks like he hadn't seen a razor in a really long time in the illustrations that they showed, so that's not really my jam. Well, that's an illustration, Yeah. so I don't think that you really The have real to. Krampus we saw in our Chippendales episode, which we did a few weeks ago yes okay anyway i had asked you a question and then you know attached all these conditions to your answer so well you began with the time we have left so how long do we have left christopher i don't know how long do we have left brandon how much time do we have left in this episode we have 10 minutes we have 10 minutes so okay. aren't you glad you rushed me through all i am of those, totally all of those parts where i was trying to contribute to stuff you didn't even talk about mr magoo Oh, fuck him. It's so weird, and it's it's politically incorrect today to like Mr. Magoo, because it makes fun of people who have vision problems. <laughs> the Mr. Magoo movie really? was really controversial, apparently, yeah. Oh, my God. I know. So I was I was trying not to get us canceled, Eric Shaw Quinn. That's why I skipped over Mr. Well, Magoo. Well, I remember the Mr. Magoo, and I will tell you, at the, I saw that one, too, and it was terrifying. <laughs> I was terrified why? by Mr. Magoo. <laughs> Christmas Carol is a ghost story. Right. And if you're a little kid mm -hmm. and you haven't been exposed to the ghost story, by the time you get to the ghost of Christmas yet to be, that skeleton in the shroud who's pointing at the gravestone with his <laughs> with his <laughs> name on it as the lightning strikes and whatever, it was terrifying. Yeah. I was terrified. I think I was hysterical. And right. God, I was very sensitive. You, you were. You were very sensitive. Very sensitive. Yes. But it was, it was frightening. That's how I... That's... My biggest remembrance, I think we were in Dallas at the time. I think that's where we were living when when that appeared. My father was at um, was studying to be a minister. We, he'd gotten back from Korea. He found God in Korea and mm. was at SMU studying to be a minister. He apparently lost God at SMU mm -hmm. um, or he went back to Korea. But, mm -hmm. um, but we God stayed. went back to Korea. God right? did. Dad yeah. didn't. Um, Dad stayed and went into, I think, school finance. Anyway, mm. but... Um, 
but uh, we were we we were living there at the time for that reason, and that's how I remember it is in that little apartment in Dallas, um, being just petrified. <laughs> You weren't. Well, I would be scared of Mr. Magoo. I thought Mr. Magoo was well, kind of a. But Mr. Magoo was already familiar to me. Right. Like I was watching it because of Mr. Magoo. He was just that would be like Bugs Bunny being scary. Like technically, you might actually find Bugs Bunny kind of frightening—a <laughs> large talking rabbit that attacks people <laughs> with enormous teeth, blows them up. Yeah, right. that could actually be pretty terrible. Bugs Bunny was a terrorist. Maybe we said it here first. Folks. Animal terrorism. Um, when was? Um, Mr. Magoo's Christmas was did I even talk about it I don't even think I put it in the notes I blocked it out I didn't even want to yeah, talk it's, it. it's in here but it doesn't have a date I was thinking I was also have been really young <laughs> I gave it a date of 2002 that's not yeah, correct that's completely wrong um, <laughs> I was drunk. It maybe 1962 yeah in which case I would have been like four of course you were scared yeah yeah and so yeah I was really young um, at that point by Charlie Brown was first grade Mm. I was mm. in first grade when Charlie Brown Christmas. Were you excited to hear kids on television because you were a kid? Did it feel like, you know? You know, I don't know that. It was interesting to me when they said that because I don't know that I made the connection at the time, but I can't think that it wouldn't have had an impact on me. No. Mm-mm. Like to actually hear children. Yeah. Um, you know, like f- talking from the set. It was the music. Oh, yeah? For me, for, right from the start, it was the music. I was just... It really captured a feeling of what the holidays are like. Why are you laughing at no, me? No, I think it's cute. And I remember one year you used to listen to the Christmas uh, station on your TV. Remember when everyone had the digital music stations on cable? Yes. And every time I would call you, the Charlie Brown Christmas theme would be playing Every in the single background. time. Christmas. Christmas time is here is yeah. really just, yeah, it's such a, yeah. uh, um, it's such a beautiful um, evocation of mm-hmm. all of the feelings because it's that time of year. It's winter. Mm-hmm. Everybody's a little blue. Mm-hmm. Everybody's, you know, a little kind of, there's the, the winter blues, but it's also the sort of loveliness of Christmas and the, like Christmas is a time where you might laugh or cry uh, in equal measure at any moment, you mm-hmm. know, like it's, it is, it's an emotionally, and then, you know, Christmas with my family. Jesus Christ, those people. Um, there was plenty of crying going on there. So there, I'm sure that played a factor into it. No, um, I, I, there was just something about that music that captured mm-hmm. the feeling of the season, that sort of almost melancholy, yes. but still beautiful and celebratory. Well, anything that's right, it's the end of the year. It's a taking stock moment. Right. People are inevitably reflecting on where they are in their lives, where they started the year. I don't think we've done much of that recently because our years have been so fucked up and crazy. Most of us just feel lucky to be alive. Right. Um, But normally you look back over the preceding 12 months and you can either be happy about what happened or you can be sad about what happened. And so those feelings start to come up. Yeah. It's about I think it's about what you were expecting. I think it's about expectations can really Mm -hmm. have an influence. One of the worst things I ever did. I went to this retreat and they had us write a letter to ourselves Mm -hmm. um, that we were going to read at the following year's retreat about, Mm -hmm. you know, where we'd been and what had happened during the year and yeah. Whatever. It was the most devastating thing I've ever done because none of the optimistic stuff that I wrote to myself about had in fact happened during the year. So I went from, you know, being in a pretty great mood and seeing my friends at the retreat to being a complete failure and completely yeah. <laughs> It's horrible. I would never do that again. That was like, oh no, that was not a good idea. Not mm-hmm. a great, uh, that was not a great plan. Never again um, are we doing that one. But I think that when you can eliminate those kinds of expectations and simply enjoy the moments of the season, that to me is what makes the holiday the holiday, mm-hmm. is enjoying that. That's why I do the the Christmas village and the decorating. That's about the intensity. That's about doubling down on the moment that you're actually in mm-hmm. rather than um, getting involved in expectations of the past or even of the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, like Christmas is going to be this and this. Christmas is going to be... Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to have we're going to have a great time doing it, but yeah. it's not going to be anything that we know or don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, that that's sort of the the 
the best way to approach the holidays. I, to me, that's the American Christmas is mm-hmm. that sort of like, OK, well, let's, you know, make the best of it. Let's have a, a good time. Let's mm-hmm. enjoy the season. Right. Uh, and in all of its aspects. Yeah, totally. Like I can have as much fun seeing an amazing store window as um, a f- hearing a fabulous soprano sing Oh Holy Night at a church service. Right, totally. Both of those things hold equal joy for me. Let me let me ask you this in the time we have left. <laughs> <laughs> Since you're so up on Christmas. Do you feel like there's anything about Christmas. L.A. that's Christmassy? I mean, we've both lived here for decades. It's not a Christmas city. Like it's not. It's not. You've been here on actual. I, I don't know if I've ever been in the city of Los Angeles or West Hollywood on Christmas Day. I think I've always been yeah. out somewhere else on that day. But you've been here. I love Christmas in L.A. because nobody's here. Because nobody's yeah, here. Because right. everybody leaves. Because it's completely. You can throw a bowling ball down Sunset Boulevard, <laughs> not hit anybody. It's just. Unbelievable, but everything is still open, right? Because it's a big city, and so you can still do pretty much anything you want to. There was a period, I think it's over, but there was a period when I first got here that it was a great time to go to Disneyland because no one was there. Wow, but now it's people packed. got on, you have to they book it years in advance, so you, it's really hard yeah. to get into to Disneyland at Christmas now because they really do knock themselves out for it. but. A lot of what Christmas is was invented here in this place where Christmas isn't. Yeah. You know, like, I love um, the intro to chestnuts roasting on mm. an open fire. He, the intro to that is actually um, because it was written here, because Mel Torme actually wrote that here, is about Beverly Hills at, mm-hmm. the, at the holiday. I can't bring up the words in this moment, mm-hmm. but... Uh, Beverly Hills, L.A. Mm. Um, on Christmas Day. Um, those are the, the the sort of rhyme schemes. But talking about the nature of um, the way in which we've brought Christmas here, even though all of the things that we've come to associate with Christmas aren't here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, the man who wrote Dreaming of a White Christmas was here dreaming right. about it. Like yeah. he wasn't shoveling snow. He was... You know, here in sunny Southern California. That's wonderful. Um, also, let us never forget that Die Hard is a Christmas movie, and it's set entirely in Los Angeles. So there. And um, Lethal Weapon. Lethal Weapon is a opens Christmas with movie, that, right? With Christmas, and there are lots yeah. of different movies that are set here at the holidays that have nothing that do not offer the sort of stereotypical visions uh-huh. of Christmas that we've all come to expect because we put them in the movies and told people to expect them. Absolutely. So, most so. importantly, we didn't talk about a family massacre. We didn't talk about a deranged Santa Claus serial killer. We really didn't. We didn't. We talked about the joy and the multiple meanings of Christmas here on this and Christmas Christopher time. Fought to stay and away. I mean the to tell you what time. the fuck was in my lunch. It's like I had valerian root on my. Sa- I had a salad for Christ's sake. It didn't have a box Is of it donut. turkey or chicken donut salad. Chicken with with uh, you know it had beets. Beets. Do beets make people sleepy? Well, I, I think they have a lot of. I think they have a high sugar content. Oh Jesus Christ! Everything's got a high sugar content. I'm done. I'm you done. have a high. Sugar I have content. a high sugar. You have a high sugar content. Okay, on our next episode, everybody has a high sugar content. It's Christmas. That's <laughs> it's why. Christmas, right? Exactly. We're all full of chocolate covered cherries. On our next episode, we asked you. <laughs> Dun, dun, dun. For your top picks of our episodes from 2021 featuring a true you crime. You weren't very forthcoming. We really had to come after you. Featuring a true crime TV club, true crime movie time, or a true crime special edition. And Other than Billy other Newton. Other than our coverage of Billy Newton, which, which is, is a separate investigation and discussion. We'll have your answers as well as our own as we close out 2021 on our next episode of TDPS Presents Christopher and Eric. Until then and forever after, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you've been listening to TDPS Presents Christopher and Eric. (laughs) Thanks. Well, we seem to have lost Christopher, but as a special observance, let's bring back an old TDPS tradition with the night before Jordan. Merry Christmas. Jordan? Jordan! Jordan!
there you are, tippling in the wine cellar. You know, you might actually be cool if the stuff you said actually made sense. That's funny. I, I often think the same thing when I talk to you. What I mean is, you really seem to have drunk a lot of our wine. Yeah, most of it was super old, so <sighs> I figured you'd be throwing it out soon anyway. Not really how wine works. Anyway, I was looking for okay, you. Okay, first of all, I didn't think they would break so easy, and I totally didn't expect them to start screaming either. Okay, let's save that story for a little later. I, I have a surprise. Prize for you in the gift bag room. The gift bag room? Yes. There's a gift bag room? Yes, right through here. After you. Hey, there aren't any gift bags in here. It's just a lot of mops and brooms and stuff. And it's all for you. Really? That's so... Hey, are you trying to trick me? This door is locked. Hey! Hey, let me out of here! I can't stay here. It's beginning to... Christmas everywhere I go. Is there any sparkling water? Okay, what's going on? What's so important? Well, I felt bad after Jordan's little stunt with Twas the Night Before Christmas last week, so I thought we needed to fix it. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Funny story, I told him I wanted to put together a sort of audio Christmas card for the show. And he didn't know what audio meant. He didn't, actually. Long story short, I brought the whole cast really? in. Really? Everyone? Well, the TDPS Christmas party is next week, and there's the big announcement, oh, and it's boy. important to me that we redo the whole thing right. Okay, everybody, come on. Really? Come on. All of them? Huh? Yeah. You had to invite all oh, of them? Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's that time of the year. How are they all available? Okay, everybody move. Yeah, everybody make it. Yeah, move back. God, it's like we are the world for assholes. Okay, Eric. Are we ready, Brandon? Ready. Okay! Up to Timbo for the little motherfuckers! Here we go! Oh, God. How much is this gonna cost? Or you could just fire Jordan. I'm sure it'll be great. Shh. Twas the eve before Christmas. The joy shared by all. Cause everything was half price here at Poison Creek Mall. The last minute shoppers were gleeful with panic. But the children's were Hillian's pendejo satanic. Oh, that's nice, Lupe. As Lupe O'Neill. Here in the newsroom, we scrambled for relevance. The Republican primaries were more farce than elegance. Their clown car of candidates seemed devoid of a winner, and I counted the minutes till good night and good dinner. A star in the East once predicted good fortune, but that slut Sagittarius has ruined things for everyone. So while I may still be the queen of the stars, I'm currently living in the back of Breck's car. Didn't see that coming, eh? Fucky Breck. The specter of Isis has spoiled foreign travels, so I opened a gift shop as my business unraveled. I now sell gift baskets as my new vocation, Designed for the traveler who chooses staycations. I'm Brock. And I'm Bastion. And we're here to say... We're having a party on this Christmas day. Our stunning glass palace will be decked, draped, and lighted. But we want you to know that you're all not invited. Everyone who's anyone will be at our ball. So since you all missed it, best wishes to all... Air quotes! <laughs> Now, Marlo and Olsen and each patchwork player, get into costume and makeup and hair. The critics are here for our pageant review, so do a good job or I'll kill all of you. As solstice moon arises in the Bay Area sky, sacred altar prepare, show Heine and I. With chanting and incense, Gaia we evoked. Instead, the fire department came following our smoke. We're loud. And we're Kyle. And we're here for a reason. To restore the true meaning of the Christmas season. With all the distractions and presents to please us. We want to remind you it's still... Two two snaps for Jesus! If your ends are all split and your skin is too dry, we've got a solution that you ought to try. Stop by Chez Chavot, there's never a wait. Soon all your friends will say, You look great! And stop by Darnell's for a holiday frock that'll soon put some spirit back into your walk. 
I'm Beverly Goodly of Beverly's Good Sense. With our seasonal fragrance, Holy Sacraments. Now hold on, everybody. I say, I say, you're losing the spirit of the true Christmas day. Instead of these presents and tinsel and trees, you should save all your money and give it to me. No, the holiday season means be of good cheer. So we can stand ass acres like you for the rest of the year. We're Mauritius. And TJ. And I am called Boris. And, and we, we wanted, wanted to wish season's greetings in, in chorus. chorus. And I am Natasha, and he is Fitzpatrick. Happy New Year! And his drugs kicked in early, so he's kind of erratic. With Janice and Denidia from WeHo City Hall. Bringing non-denominational holiday wishes to all. So while we make merry, our thoughts are not far. To all party people, wherever you are. With the exception of Jordan. Oh, Mr. Queen is kind of hot. We want you to know, we thank you for listening to the Dinner Party Show. Dot com. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw-Quinn. And you've been listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. Thanks, and Merry Christmas. This is TDPS.